this evening, I'm just going to jump right in and uh, um, just share a few things that are on my heart this evening. Uh, the title of my message is Flip or Flop. Everybody say Flip or Flop. One of the most popular things that there is on TV right now is renovation shows. Anybody in here watch renovation shows? You love those? I know my wife does. Like every one house hunter renovation show that comes on, it's just like, you know, you just got to watch it. And, uh, you know, everybody's houses look exactly the same. It's like not really that it looks like that anybody does hardly anything different. They buy a house. They all like order stuff from the same magazine or whatever to fill the house. And it looks the same. But it's, you know, it's interesting nonetheless. But so tonight I want to talk about renovating. And, you know, there's a passage of scripture, one of my favorite chapters, two, my two favorite chapters really, like a whole chapter is probably in the whole book, are Philippians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 12. And we're going to kind of read a little bit from both of those chapters tonight. I often use them and, and use them when I speak and use them when I teach and everything else because they're just two of the most essential passages in the Bible for, for us to just walk by and live by. Um, those two those two chapters really can sum up what our life is about and how we do this thing, how we follow Jesus. And so we know and everybody likes to pull out and use Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and talk about being re, have our minds renewed. And that idea of being renewed sometimes loses its meaning somewhat because to us in our context, renewing something often means just kind of updating it, right? I renew my membership or something along those lines. So we're talking about renewing something and, and something becoming new. A, a word that's very similar to the word renew uh, is in, you know, and, and that captures the picture of what the author is trying to say is actually renovate. And in our, for our purposes, it's helpful to use the word renovate instead of renew because it gives us, in our context, the picture of what actually God is challenging us to do because we're not just building off of something, you know, an, another foundation. We're not just renewing uh, our subscription to life or to, to something else. We're completely renovating, which means we're going through a process of making something completely different. What was there before was not working, and so we're making it, repurposing it, and making it into something new, right? And so we're going to talk about, but what we're going to talk about is, is how that process happens. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? But first, I want to, uh, to play one of the most epic videos, uh, church videos that were ever created to help set the stage for what we're going to talk about tonight. So you can hit it, Matt. Somebody hit the lights. We got to be able to see see this. Oh, 
Yeah. Come on, let's give it up for the church dancers. Man, did you see that moonwalk? He straight went around the moon. Like, it was not just. And uh, what we're going to try to do is have uh, Evan and Sandy and Audrey do that on our crier ministry on Sunday. So. <laughs> Man, if I saw somebody do that in my church for real, I would slap somebody. But it was, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. So anyways, if you want to open up to Romans chapter 12, uh, hopefully that, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's the way David danced, you know, before God. Renovating, though, means change. And that's what we want to talk about tonight, change. It's not covering over the old. It's not just touching it up. And what I want us to understand tonight is the renovation that we go through will determine whether we flip or whether we flop. Right? So we have the option. The possibility is before us. Are we going to, to flip this life? You know, meaning turn it into something more valuable, something more desiring, something more applicable to, uh, you know, to, to, to what we want and what we need? Or is it just going to be a flop? Is it going to be turned into something that, that we can't change, can't fix? And we don't know. And it's, it's that renovation process that we go through that we need to, that, that needs to complete itself. And so what does it mean? How does that happen? Well, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, read verses 3 through 8, and then we're going to dig into this a little bit. So reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version, verse 3 says, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness." Everybody said amen. amen. Good. So what is the process of renovation? I want to deal with this on sort of a, uh, you know, a, a, an actual level of what, it, what a renovation is. And then we're going to tie this into what Paul is saying here in the book of Romans. So you think about renovation, there's three basic, I'm sure there's lots of different things, and for those who work in construction, you can come up with several different steps, but there's three kind of big steps that happen in a renovation process um, that kind of stand out in my mind, and the first one is demolition, right? And if you watch um, Fixer Upper, the big day is always demo day. It's demo day, baby. We get to go in and rip stuff up. That's what every guy likes to do. Grab a hammer, grab a, you know, an axe, whatever the case may be, and just tear stuff down. That's always our dream. Some of us just made it a lifestyle, but we're going to try to change that. But our dream is just to go in and tear stuff up. And the demolition day is the day that we clear out the junk and we start the renewing process. But you have to get rid of what was there previously that was not working or not functioning to allow space for the new to come in, right? 
And then whenever you get into the renovation piece, you decide what needs to change. There's another piece to that, and that's design. You have to determine what's going to go in there. And so you get out whatever, you know, the tools that you use to design, whether it's drawing or some computer program or whatever the case may be, and uh, you decide, you know, what kind of uh, furniture is going to be in there, what kind of flooring, what the wall, how the walls are going to be painted, the lighting, and so on and so forth. And so it gets sort of repurposed in this stage, and it, and it finds its new identity, and this is where all of the knowledge of how the new structure will be is, you know, begins to sort of take shape. And then in the design process, and I put them all as D's just to help it stick in your mind a little bit. They don't have to start with D's, but you know, it's what, what preachers do. I don't know. It's nonsense. But demo, design, and the last one is develop. You have to actually put it together. You put the work in and all the things, you took out the space, you designed something new, and then you put the pieces in place. And then, and part of that develop is understanding its new use. There's new things here. You know, there's, there's a new space. How do I use it? How do I live in it? You know, and, 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 and finding out its worth. And, and it all happens because of a lot of time, a lot of work, and a lot of resources. You know, there's, no, there's no quick fix. There's no demo that just happens at the, the snap of a finger. Unfortunately, we just can't walk into a room and wave a, a wand and it, it becomes something completely different. And so this renovation process is, 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 is something that we put ourselves into. You know, we put all of our knowledge into, we put all of our hard work into, we put, uh, we gather others in with other talents to come alongside us, to put their expertise into it, to come in and use their craft. And this is how it's all put together. And the final, in the end of the process, we find something that's new, something that's beautiful, something that is not just something that we can use well, but something that we want to show off to others. Right? Because what's the point of renewing our whole kitchen and our whole living room if we're just going to keep it to ourselves? Part of that process is to say we want to have something to present to other people. We want people to come see it, and we want, to, we want it to be on display. And I think that our lives are not all that much different from that same story. There's a process that God has for each and every one of us that starts with demolition, where he identifies the things that need to change. He starts and he comes in to clear out all the junk and the clutter and the mess and the brokenness and, and the hurt that's been caused for so many years. And he starts to just clear it out and start with almost a blank canvas. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. And he repurposes and designs into our life new function, new way of doing things, new way of looking, new way of talking, new way of acting. It's in, according to his scripture and his glory and he develops it over time with craftsman work bringing in those who have expertise in many different areas to put their hands on it and to make it better why so he can put it on display so he can say this is a display of my glory that's the power that each and every one of us have and the identity that we have we're not just recovering addicts we contain the glory of God. We're not just recovering addicts. <laughs> We're made to contain the glory of God. So it's not just a, 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 a covering over. It's not just a tweaking a little bit. And those who come into Teen Challenge with that kind of attitude, I just want to get my life back. I just want to fix things a little bit. I just want to tweak things so I can get along. I just want to function. They often don't make it because that's not at all what this process is about. 
The process that you come through here is not just slapping some paint on the walls so it looks a little bit more appealing on the outside. The process here is getting into the inside, digging out the walls, changing the insulation, redoing the wiring so it makes better sense, fixing the plumbing, doing all of these different things so that as you put all the pieces back together, it's something new, it's something real, it's something that doesn't just work, it's something that, that, that God wants to show off and put on display, something that he's proud of. And some of us, for the first time in our life, can have somebody who's proud of us. And it's God. It's the one who made us. It's the one who we spent so long running away from. The one who we spent so long, like Jesus, hating and pushing away. When we heard his name, we didn't even want to associate with it. But every time he heard our name, he was like, man, I want to associate with you. You may not want your name mixed up with mine, but I want my name mixed up with yours. And that's the power of it is that he takes that chance time and time again. And that's why I love that, that song, Reckless Love. You know, that when we were his foe, when we were his enemy, you know, he fought for us. And he came after us because he had a plan and a purpose the whole time as we were kicking holes in the wall. You know, we were taking advantage and abusing this, this life that, that we had been given. God's like, I got a plan. Just let me in there. I can renovate that mess. I can make it into something beautiful and something that not only you'll be proud of, but I'll be proud of and others will see and they'll be glad and they'll rejoice. It'll be a testimony. So what does that look like in us and how does that relate to what Paul is saying here in the book of Romans? The first verse that he says in verse 3 For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The demolition process in our life, the brokenness in our life, the thing that begins to clear out all of the junk and the mess and the clutter is humility. He says, I challenge you not to think more highly than you ought to think. But find a posture of humility because that's the demolition. That's the the brokenness that it takes for God to be able to go in and to clear out all of the mess and the clutter. And this is what it looks like as we look into it. It says, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And it's not trying to say here that each and every one of us has something different that God has given. And maybe some of us aren't good enough to receive a different measure of faith of everybody else. But what he's saying is that God has given the measurement and the measurement is the faith that he's given us. And so the, 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 the definition of humility then is not that I look around to compare myself to everybody else's measure of faith and to their giftings and what they have to offer. The the definition of humility then is that I constantly and only can compare myself to Jesus Christ. I come and 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 I stand myself up against the faith. I stand myself up against the principles. I stand myself up against the man of Jesus Christ. And when we stand next to Jesus Christ, every single one of us looks the same. It doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter what our background or our ethnicity or our social status or whether we're man or woman or, or whoever. We all look exactly the same standing in that position. And from that starting point, God has something to work with. 
But the problem is, is when we come into that position and we start playing the games of comparison and the, all of the outward things that go on, and that's when we start to just say, well, let's just put a little paint on the walls because then I'll look better than this person. Then I'll be a little bit more appealing than the, ne- the person next to me, and I don't have to worry about something because at least I'm not as bad as them. Look, I got paint on my walls. Look, things are looking a little bit shiny. I just bought a new coffee table. Isn't it great? Come on. I'm not as bad as the person next to me. But that's not what God is trying to do. And it's the process of humility because we have nothing to pride in spiritually. We stand before Jesus, every one of us, every one of us bankrupt, every one of us corrupt, every one of us have nothing to bring. But the other part of that is that we strive to stand next to Christ and, and measure ourselves up to Christ and we, and, and, and we take on his posture. His posture, and this is where I love Philippians chapter 2, is that he did not con- try to uh, become, uh, to uh, strive to identify with the Father. He, tried, he strove to identify with us. So the posture of humility means I'm not constantly striving to identify with those that I view that are above me. I'm striving to identify with those who I view that are beneath me. Because it's only in that place where I'm truly open for God to really do something different in my life. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having in mind, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Right? That's humility. I do not consider equality with God something to be grasped because on some level that's what we're all grasping for. We're all trying to control. We're all trying to manipulate. We're all trying to be the one in charge. We're all trying to be the one that's heard. We're all trying to be the one that has the say, that has the authority, that everybody looks to, that everybody comes to, that is greater and better than everything else. We're all trying to get to that place ever since the beginning in Scripture when we built the Tower of Babel. We're trying to make a name for ourselves. And our culture has not changed. But Jesus didn't look that way. He emptied himself. So that posture of humility is coming in and standing before God and saying, God, I know that we're going to go through some demolition, so let me help you out a little bit. I'm going to empty myself. Because it's painful when God has to step in and and do the demolition. I've been in those situations where I was too stubborn to humble myself before God, and God had to do the demolition. And some of you have been in those places, too, where you're standing in cuffs, You've been in those places, too, when you're, when you're standing behind bar cells, when you're standing before judges, when you're being thrown out of the house, when you injected too much of something into your veins, you drank too much, you did a lot of those things, and God had to bring you to that place of brokenness and humility. He had to empty you before you killed yourself. And so we step into a process and we allow humility to do its work so that we can empty ourselves before him to say, God, I'm not striving To have a name just like yours. God, I'm just striving to be empty before you. Because when we're empty before him, we can be filled with him. 
And when we're filled with him, we are raised with him. Because Jesus, it says that, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What he's saying is he took the form of us and that wasn't even low enough. So he said, I'm going to go ahead and take it one step further and I'm going to die in the worst way possible that any one of you could even die. I'm not only going to become like one of you, but I'm going to identify as the worst of what is among you. He took that position. He took that place. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You see, when we try to make that name, when we try to get that name, there's no way possible for us to get there. The only way to get there is that we empty ourselves and we follow the pattern of Christ and we become nothing before him so that it is him that can lift us up. It is him that can give us the name because our name is, 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 it comes together and is molded with the name of Christ. We are his people. We are called by his name. It's not our name. It's his name. That every knee should, tongue on, should confess, that every knee shall bow under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's first, it's that posture of humility. It begins the process of demolition. So what are we shooting for? What are we striving for? What are you here for? And what process are you in? What point of the process? That's our question tonight. The second one that we have. We begin the process of if you humility and beginning the demolition process and the brokenness, we find unity. And unity is the most powerful principle in all the New Testament that's probably ignored the most. The very reason that Paul is writing these words is to bring unity among the people of God. They constantly found ways to disconnect themselves. And so everybody that gets all up in arms about the way that our society is and that our culture is, and I can't believe that people are saying the things that, they, that they're saying and doing the things that they're doing, and we must be, like Jesus must be coming back in five minutes because it's getting so horrible, people can't get along, or they don't like each other. It's been going on ever since the beginning of time. It's just probably that we have more media to throw it in our faces. But unity is what it's about, and it's what Jesus prayed for. It's what he, he left with the disciples and what he's trying to promote here. And it's the togetherness where the design that God has given us begins to make sense. It's the togetherness. It's the unity where after we're cleared out and he begins to repurpose and he begins to apply the design where it all begins to make sense because he takes the gifts and the, and the abilities of others to come in and to help shape and mold and craft us. There has to be somebody that knows electrical work that can come in and God, then work with God to do the electrical work in us. I have to deal with my frustration. I have to deal with my anger. I have to deal with my depression. I have to deal with my anxiety. And God says you need to deal with those things. Guess what? Here's somebody that's going to cause you a lot of anxiety. We're going to work on this together. And so that's what he does. He brings in others and we work together. And unity is not a statement or a pledge, but it's a way of being. That's what we have to understand from these few verses. It means that I am part of you and I do the things that I do, not for myself, uh, but also for you because I know that I cannot prosper without you and you cannot prosper without me. He says, for as in one body we have many members and the members uh, do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And even that word members, it's, you know, it has... 
the wrong connotation for us. Because we, we're, we're a member of a gym, right? And most people who are a member of a gym, except for Josh, because he's huge, so it proves that he actually goes. Most people that are members of gyms, they don't even go. So what does that tell us about our membership? It's not very good. <laughs> it's not very faithful. Membership doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. We pay money to be members of something that we don't even use. So what is that, that same type of thinking, though, comes into the church because we become members of something that we don't even take, really take part in. We become members of something just so we can show up when we want to, do the things that we want to, step in, step out, and not really become part of anything. But what God is actually saying is when you become part of the people of God, and when you begin the demolition process, what's going to happen is that you're no longer going to be doing this thing on your own. Part of the design and the purpose and the putting back together means that you're now going to be connected to people in a way that you never thought was imaginable or possible or something that maybe you never even wanted to before, but it's going to happen. And it's absolutely necessary for me to complete the work in you that needs to be done. We were actually made for, the, for relationships. We're actually made to know each other and be into relationship in one another and to be connected with one another. And it's in that place that God is able to do the greatest work. Unity is essential because without it, competition ruins the application that God's trying to make. There's no need for us to be the same when we're actually unified because we can embrace the diversity among us. Our, our gifts that God has given us are in submission to the community that we're in, and it's much like a chain link fence. The whole thing is what surrounds the structure. The whole thing is what stands from the ground and to, and, and to maybe above our heads and around, but each and every one of us are a link in that chain. And whenever there becomes just a weak place where those, two, where those links aren't connected anymore, it's, that's the place where the weakness happens. And that's the place where the enemy likes to come over and says, hmm, if I just... Push this out of the way a little bit. Just push this out of the way a little bit. Then I can push this one out of the way a little bit and this one out of the way a little bit. And he finds a hole. What you need to know that in our lives, especially when we're dealing with recovery, isolation is an invitation for devastation. I said it the simplest way possible, so I hope you'll remember it. Isolation is an invitation for devastation. I'm kind of proud of all those Asians, right? Isolation is an invitation for devastation. I've learned that in my life, and I said this in, in video that we made on Tuesday, when I isolate myself, I end up doing most of the enemy's work for him. It's like he comes in, and he comes in like a flood, and, I, you know, and, and, I, and then I take over, and I'm like, let me just do your work for you. Because I'm trying to do it alone. I'm worthless alone. I can't do it alone. And God gives us the blessing of one another that we could be unified. And we spend most of our time fighting against one, of another, one another to the point that we miss out on the grace that God has given us in one another to get the healing that we need. I'm here to tell you today, what you need and what you want in your life today is not going to happen apart from those that are sitting right to your right and to your left. Whether it's in Teen Challenge, whether it's in a church, it doesn't really matter. Everything that God has for us is going to come through those that we sit in fellowship with. And when we choose or deny people into that fellowship, all we're really doing is we're denying what they have that God wants to use in them for our good. We're not denying just a person. We're denying a gift from God. 
Because every single one of us have gifts. Every single one of us have abilities. And every single one of us have things in us that God wants to use in another person's life. And I, on some point, we have to grasp the power of that and the responsibility of that and the greatness of that, that God has chosen to use us to help save lives. Even in the midst of our brokenness and our mess, God is like, yeah, but you've got, you've got what I need. And we're like, what do I have? I've got nothing. I'm useless. And God's got, you've got what I need. Just come over here. We're going to work it out. God is so good like that. And the third one is identity. We go through the demo process of humility. We go through the design process of unity where we're brought into fellowship and God uses the body to repurpose us. And then the last place is our identity. Because when you repurpose a room, maybe you have a house that has extra bedrooms in it because you have kids that move out. I've got about 20 years or so till that really happens. So not really looking about repurposing any rooms. But you know what people do? They say, all right, I'm going to take one of these rooms and I'm going to turn it into a workout room. They repurpose it, right? They give it a new identity. I got this extra room over here. I'm going to turn it into a den that I can hang out. I'm going to make a man cave. And we all want a man cave, right? Come on. Even ladies, you want a lady cave. Come on. I know it's true. I don't know what, you know, maybe you just need a phone in there to talk to your friends. You know, I don't know. <clears throat> but it's our identity. Once we're, we go through the demo, once we go through the design and we start into the development, that's where God shapes, you know, re, he gives us the, what he has put together in identity and it finds its purpose. And your success in life, again, it's not just teen challenge, it's the church, it's anywhere that you go. Our success in life will be determined by whether or not we embrace our new identity or we hold on to our old. And here's another phrase I tried to make as simple as possible so that you could remember it. Old habits equal old results. Old habits equal old results. So if you have in your mind that I'm just going to be here to make somebody happy and then go back, just know that the old habits will bring back the same old results. And you might just end up in a situation to where you're back in the seat again because if old habits equal old results, eventually you're going to end up in the same places. Hopefully you do make it back up here before you end up in places that you really don't want to be. And it's not just simply becoming a Christian. You know, one of the purposes and one of the great things that we, we, we are, are, we're all about here is, is helping people understand Jesus Christ and why we need him in our lives. But even more than that, what we do and how we do it, our freedom to walk in responsibility that so many of us have, have tried to walk away from or have ran from in life, now we have a freedom to be responsible, living a life of purpose, So it's the brokenness, the togetherness, and the otherness that God makes us. And as I thought about this, the last thing, and then, you know, we're just going to wrap up here in just a second. In all of this, one of the most important aspects of the renovation process, and part of that, well, let me say a part of the identity is God, as, as Paul talks about the, the, uh, the gifts that are given there, you know, we find our purpose and he begins to develop and shape. This is the place where now that we're finally made new and we're finally redesigned and we can actually walk in the giftings that he's given us. 
And he can continue to develop them and grow them and, and use them, you know, for our benefit and for others. But one of the most important parts of the renovation process is committing to the process. You know, how silly would it be to walk into a house and say, man, I'm going to demo this thing. I'm going to make something new. And you start ripping walls out and be like, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right? But how many times do we do that in life? Well, I, I'm in. I'm going to start this. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's for me. Not what I thought it was, demoing. You know, thought it was more fun and glorious. I thought I would see some results a little bit quicker. Well, you know, I've already started. Let me just jump back in. and oh, I tore out some more walls, and now a wind is blowing through the house, and it's cold. I can't do anything about it. But you know what? Nah, I don't know. It's not for me. And these are the kinds of games that we can play. But committing to the process is one of the most important parts of it because you waste time and energy and resources every time that you do it. And so commitment, in order for the process to be completed, you have to commit to the design and let the development finish its work. And here's another one I try to make simple. You can't control what could have been, but you can control what will be. You can't control what could have been, but you can control what will be. What does that mean? You know, we all have dreams, and I have mental pictures in my life of moments that, man, if I had just made a different decision, I'd have been playing in the NBA. Nobody laughs, so maybe you believe that's true. Uh, <laughs> no, we all, but we have all these moments just like, man, what could have been? And sometimes we live on those could have beens. And the reason we go back to old habits is because we are still reaching for the could have beens instead of committing to the process and taking and laying hold of what will be when Christ finishes the work in us. And all we end up doing is end up being the person that starts and jumps out and starts and jumps out. And all we end up doing is just living in a broken down home. I lived in a broken down home when I was, when I was growing up. My dad bought a house when we were, I was probably in like ninth grade. And he got into it and started doing that demo and tearing out walls. And, you know, the, the, the plumbing had frozen over. And so started pulling out some of the plumbing and all that sort of stuff. And I was out doing, being stupid, doing my own thing. And then the time came where I couldn't, I had nowhere else to go. You know, it was either continue sleeping in people's garages and all this stuff or go home. And so I went home not really realizing what home looked like. And I walk in the doors. I'm like, man, this place has no walls. And then I was like, well, I can't even use the bathroom. The plumbing is ripped out. So then I have to go to the gas station to go to the bathroom and go through the humiliation of having to go to the gas station, go to the bathroom and truck stops to use the shower. And I had no bed to sleep on, and there was no heat, and, there, and it was in the middle of the winter. And this is, but this is what we do to ourselves because we don't allow God to finish the process. But it looks like that not just in the natural, but in the spiritual. We begin a process, and, we, and, and it just becomes broken, and then we try to like, fit pieces together based off of our mind and our understanding, our wisdom. And then we get our scriptures all messed up, and we start believing things about God that aren't true or that he never said about himself, and, and, and we build our life upon it. And we just perpetuate the confusion. And God's like, man, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. And how you control what will be is you just say yes. You just say yes to Jesus. It's not about you stepping in and then taking control because when that happens, it doesn't work out. Our control is yes, Jesus. That's the part that we have control in. Yes, Jesus, I believe that you have a plan. I believe that you're going to do something with my life.
And so many of us give up in the demo phase. And I'm here to tell you tonight, don't give up in the demo phase. And Paul said it best in Philippians 3. Not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if, any, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You got to commit. You got to commit to the process. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter within the process. Well, one of the walls fell down, a window broke. It's all right. God's going to put the wall back up. He's going to fix the window. Well, but they put the wrong paint colors on the wall. It's okay. God is going to find the right paint color and put it on the wall. He's going to make it work. But they just installed the toilet and it won't flush. It's okay. There's bumps in the process, but you got to stay in the process. You got to commit to the process. So it starts with brokenness, it's sustained by togetherness and results in otherness. So my question tonight, what are you where are you at in this renovation process? Are you fighting the demolition? Anybody, it doesn't matter. It's not just us in Teen Challenge. Make Christians go through the same process. Our process just is different because of why we're here. Are you standing on the outside looking in? You haven't committed to the unity that God is calling you to. Have you having a hard time committing to your new identity? So my question tonight, Evan, if you want to just hit the piano, and uh, we're going to pray in just a second. Tonight, would you take a step forward to the new life that you have and allow Christ in? Whatever that place is in the process. I think it was Andy Stanley said something like, you can't pray your way out of a situation you've acted your way into. But Jesus will meet you in the middle and he will lead you out. So where are you at in the process? I'm here to tell you that all you have to do is allow Jesus to meet you at that place and keep completing the process. It's really that simple and that complicated all at once. Do you trust Jesus enough to know that he will finish what he started? Because I can tell you in Scripture he promised that he would. So you just stand with me tonight. I'm just going to pray with you. I would rather you think about it and make a decided commitment than I would just, you know, do something in a moment that isn't going to, to last. So what I'm asking is that right now, all you would do is just, as I'm going to pray and just lead into prayer, say the prayer. And then allow God to speak to you and do in your heart what only he can do. Because I can't do anything in a moment with anything that I say or anything that I do to get you to the next step.
but he can and he will if you let him do it. So, Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for the process you have for me. Thank you for the plan that you're leading me through. God, I feel stuck. I don't see the way out. But right now, I'm making a decision to trust you. Jesus, meet me in the place that I'm in. Broken, humble, and ready for change. God, give me grace. Give me strength. And guide me with hope that I could complete this process. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for every life in this, in this room. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that we matter. That we're not just lost. We're not just throwaways. But God, we're beautiful in your eyes. We're loved by you. We're cared for by you. And God, you have so much good in store for each and every person in this room. God, I pray against the heart that is hardened tonight. I pray against the heart that is still holding on to pain tonight, that's standing in the way of being able to take that next step. I pray for those that are stuck in the demolition phase, resisting humility, resisting the emptying. God, give them strength. Lord, I pray for those that are standing on the outside looking in. They haven't quite committed to those that they're connected to, that they're depending on, and that are depending on them. God, break down the walls and the barriers. And Lord, I pray for all of our identity in you, God, the gifts that you have for us, the ways that you want to use us, Lord, the completion of the process, how we're going to walk away new and free. God, I pray that you would give us a glimpse, restore hope, that we wouldn't give up. I pray for those that have labored a long time. God, I pray for moms. I pray for dads in this place. God, you're, you're in a process with them too. God, you're healing them too. Wives and husbands, sons and daughters, friends, other family. God, you have that ability to touch each and every one of us, God, and I thank you for it. And I thank you for Teen Challenge. God, I thank you for the church, as imperfect as it looks like sometimes, God, you've got a plan, and you're doing something with it. And tonight, God, we commit ourselves to you. We're thankful for this opportunity. We love you, Jesus. Before we close, can you just be bold enough to just for a minute respond to God on your own?
whatever it is, maybe it's just thank you, maybe it's just help, but maybe there's something really specific in your heart that you know that you need to say. just a simple blessing as we go. Paul said to uh, Timothy in this second letter, he just said simply, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And that's it. So go in the grace of the Lord and uh, stay in it. Say yes, commit, and watch all the great things that God is going to do. Amen? Amen. We love you. We're so grateful that you're with us. You're always welcome to come back. We're here just about every Friday, 7.30, open at 6.30 to hang out, fellowship, and have coffee and other things. Uh, But uh, again, thank you for being with us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Amen.